John. Oh, hi, Dan. How are you? <clears throat> Super good. What's the weather uh, like up there? Oh, it's very snowy. And um, the temperature is about to take a radical mood swing from 27 degrees to 45 degrees. It's all coming in the next couple of days. So the snow is, the snow which was cold and dry is now turning wet, although mm. it hasn't quite turned yet. It's still like right in the, right in the zone. Yeah. But, it, but it will soon. It's like a, it's like a spring day in Anchorage, like a, like a day in April. A buddy of mine lives in Crested Butte, Colorado. It's nice. nice there. And I don't know, he said they got something like 35 inches or something like that. It's 35 inches of snow. He sent me a picture looking out of his door and it's, he's got a basketball hoop in the backyard and it's up to almost to the, like where the hoop starts. It's oh, insane. That's, phenomenal. that's so awesome. This is crazy. One year, um, right around the, the oil spill in oh, yeah, sure. Valdez, um, <clears throat> there was a, that winter, I think it was just insane snow, like 14 feet of snow or something. Oh, God. And uh, I drove down there with a guy because we were gonna we were gonna make our fortune shoveling snow off of people's roofs oh, because yeah. you know like the roofs were caving in, and so he had this idea like we'll drive down to Valdez, which is no small drive, and we'll shovel the you know all the snow and we'll make a fortune. And it was a blizzard, and we drove all night in this whiteout of blizzard, and he was a cocaine person. And at that point in time, I was not a cocaine person, but I was willing to learn. <laughs> and so all through the night, we're driving in just, you know, snow blind in both ways. And uh, and doing so much cocaine that, that he at least started to um, become paranoid and then start to hallucinate. And, you know, was like, did you see that? You know, I was a freaking Bigfoot or whatever. <laughs> And it got really <laughs> scary, and he was a, a really good, a good man, but but um, but definitely like living on the Alaska edge. And I was not used to cocaine, and so I was like, you know, tr just tweaking on it. And I was doing one third of what he was doing because then you know over time, then he was like, "You're taking too much of this," and I was like, "I'm not doing any of it." <laughs> but you know, he was just because. Cocaine like makes you get greedy and weird. It was like stop, you know, stop <laughs> looking at. Oh yeah, because you know, as the as the cocaine as you, as it goes, unless you have like unlimited amount of it, you know, it's just, it become at first it's like every you cut out big generous lines and everybody's like yeah, you know, here have some of my cocaine. But then as it starts to get as the it starts to get less and less, and you realize it's a scarce commodity, then you're like. You know, you're eyeing each other like, did you take an extra <laughs> bump? I could swear there was more here. And it was like, you were staring at me the whole time. You know exactly how much I took. Yeah, but I think, you know, I blinked and you stole it. It, do it does. It turns you into a, it's just, a, that's why cocaine is a terrible drug. It makes you into a very bad person. Now, let me ask you a question. I know this is probably not where you wanted to go with this conversation. Yeah, you never know. But, I, I never have any goals. <laughs> but I uh it it should be known and it might be known to our audience. You've been you've been sober for how many years? 
27 years. Seven. Okay. Sorry to shortchange you there. No, it's okay. Uh, and, and so at this point, I think there's enough distance in time that you're comfortable talking about this stuff. And mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you a question. So in, in high school, my friend uh, Casey, who later on, unfortunately, went on to murder someone, um, his stepdad, um, his stepdad was in, I think, every armed force except the Coast Guard some point or no maybe he was the coast guard and not the marines i think is how that went he was in all of them he did a stint in all of them okay and according to him he had done every single drug at that time so this would have been the 90s all the drugs he had done all of them all the available drugs yes anything in the 90s that was available he had done it Mm -hmm. and he he as an aside he said that the toughest thing for him to quit was smoking he said that was harder even than heroin he said. Yes, I believe that that is that, that that's fairly agreed upon. Okay, that cigarettes are the one that that get their hooks in you the most. I read the other day that Waylon Jennings smoked six packs a day. <gasps> what? Yeah, that's. I mean, I don't know how you would fit six packs in. You'd have to stay up late. Oh, you you wouldn't be able to sleep at all. <clears throat> my 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 uh, father used to. I think he smoked three packs of Marlboro Reds a day, and. I, I, he was having to, that's pretty much chain smoking at, at right, that point, right. isn't it? You had a cigarette in your mouth the entire time, pretty right? At three packs a day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So six would, I don't know how you do that. Maybe you smoke them real, real fast, fast, real hard. Yeah. yeah. You hot box them and get them done. <laughs> well, so, so anyway, this guy. This guy had done everything. And so my question for you is, are there any drugs you haven't done? Oh, well, even since the nineties, the number of drugs that have names street street names mm-hmm. has proliferated like beyond belief like fentanyl didn't exist or at least sure. i had never heard of it in 1994 um oxycontin didn't exist right and those are two of the big big oxy is the big one everyone is uh, having problems yeah, but, with now you know fentanyl now is is everywhere at least out here and i think it's it's the next scourge mm mm-hmm. Um, and it's very dangerous. That's what killed Michael Jackson. And uh, it's apparently, or was it Prince or both of them? I don't know. It's, it's terrible stuff. Terrible, terrible. But I mean, it's just synthetic heroin. It's just that it's way stronger than anybody, seems to be way stronger than anybody expects. Because with heroin, again, scarce commodity, if you get two kilos of it, you immediately chop it up with, some baby laxative or whatever in order to then have four kilos of it. And your average junkie, you know, doesn't know or care. And then the problem is that then the next guy down the line steps on it with a bunch of baby laxative and pretty soon it's, um, it doesn't get you high, but with fentanyl, it's just cheap. It's cheap. So you don't have to do that. Cut. You don't have to cut it so hard. And um, and so people get fentanyl and they're used to doing heroin and they think it's, you know, and they just misgauge how strong it is, how much how much to do, and, and, and they OD. But so none of those drugs, I mean, I, I started 
I did MDA before it was even called MDMA, mm. and I don't know what the difference between MDA and MDMA was. Even at the time when they started talking about MDMA, I was like, what's the extra M? Can I, can I inform you on this? Because I just Googled yeah. it. Uh, yeah. It says, uh, what is the, the article is called, what is the difference between Molly, MDMA, and Sally, MDA? Hmm. And it says- uh, They did not have those names then. It says, known on the street as Sally, the MDA drug is closely related to Molly or ecstasy, the street names for MDMA. Uh, and they basically just- it, oh, in December 2015, the body of Scott Wayland, former lead singer of the Stone Temple Pilots, uh, among the most successful rock bands, was found dead. And apparently it's because he says it was an overdose. I know we talked about this when it happened, didn't we? Um, uh, it, it, part of the overdose was MDA, which is short for methylenedioxymethamphetamine. Okay. And... Uh, it basically says, like you're saying, MDMA and MDA are rarely, if ever, pure. They're both stimulants. They're both psychedelics. Um, it says, while they're often sold for the same price, they can cause a much different high. Oh, by the way, neither is approved by the FDA. Uh, oh, I knew that. So you know that. I knew that. Um, it says MDA, or Sally, causes the brain to release large amounts of serotonin and norepinephrine and smaller amounts of dopamine. And this causes people to experience a heightened mood and positive feelings of empathy and affection to those around them. When it wears off, it's completely depleted the brain of serotonin, sometimes for several days, and can leave users in a depressed state. Mm. And then Molly is similar to MDA in the brain, although it's thought that structural changes in the brain after the drug wears off might not be quite as dramatic. Uh, it's considered more of a psychedelic than a stimulant and generally falls into both categories. And it's associated with more of a loving high that oh. doesn't last quite as long as MDA. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. MD, you know, when MDA first was making the rounds, the <clears throat> the legend was that if you did too much of it, your spinal fluid uh, would be permanently affected somehow. Like it was, it was, it was understood to permanently damage the brain. And, um, you know, and that was in the days of the Happy Mondays and the Goa trance, you know, house music scene. Mm -hmm. And so there were people doing a lot of it and it, you know, and I, I was careful like why, uh, with it. Why do you think that like MDMA, why do you think it changes names? Like how come sometimes it's, it's Molly, sometimes it's MDMA, sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Like, why did, why did, why don't they pick one and just stick with it? I feel like calling it Molly was a millennial thing because I had never heard the term Molly until, uh, and then one day it was just ubiquitously known as Molly. And the conversation I had that introduced me to the term was with somebody who was 22 years old and they said, Oh, was, you know, something, something Molly. And, um, and when I said, who's Molly, you know, they, um, they acted as though they'd never heard it called anything else. And, um, but they were, they were young enough that their whole experience of it could, what was compressed into an amount of time that easily could have escaped my attention. Mm -hmm. Right. Or that I'd heard somebody say Molly and I didn't know what they were talking about and I didn't, and I didn't care. So it 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 felt um, 
it definitely felt like like you're saying that a new generation got tired of calling it MDMA and somebody was like called it Molly and then that was it was a good name for it right like why doesn't LSD have a name like like Frederick Fredericksburg I don't know what you would call LSD it's a, it's a catchy name LSD yeah, but it like sounds her- really cool. It's better heroin than... Heroin has so many names. Yeah. Smack, junk, you know, all the stuff. Um, and I always, you know, if I, we talked, I think, last week about the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers. <laughs> and uh, the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, at one point, Freewheeling Franklin had a had a plan. He was going to... He was going to screw with Norbert the Narc. Yeah. Uh, by talking about a new drug, a really cool new drug called Squeak. And I loved, when I first read that comic book when I was 14, before I'd ever done a drug, I just loved that Freewheeling Franklin was fucking with Norbert the Narc by talking on the phone about Squeak. And Norbert the Narc was so into it. He was like, we're going to bust this Squeak ring. And so I talked about Squeak all the time when I was on drugs, you know, in drug dealer conversations, I'd be like, well, have you got any Squeak? And nobody ever knew what I was talking mm. about. And it was just one of those things that I was doing it to make myself laugh. And I never explained myself. You know, they'd be like, I'd be buying drugs from somebody. And they'd say, as they do, need anything else? And they'd kind of like go through the stuff that they had. And I'd say, you got any squeak? I'd be like, well, squeak? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> I was just waiting for the, I feel like if there had been one single drug dealer that had been like, ha ha, squeak. No, Norbert the Narc truck at all. I would have married him. You know, that would have been the sign that I'd finally found where I belonged, but I never did. And consequently, Dan, I never, I never belonged anywhere because I never found somebody that got the squeak. Yeah, that's right. That's or, right. or somebody that was like, yeah, I got squeak. That would have been even better. Yeah. But in answer to your question, are there drugs that I didn't do that were available at the time? Yeah, I didn't. I never shot up. And... There was shot up heroin, and there was a there was plenty of opportunity, and it was around me, and you know syringes were prepared for me, and you know and like handed to me, or that you know the syringe on a tray was placed before me, and I was absolutely tempted by it in the sense of wanting to try everything. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, you know, the syringe on a tray is very different from the syringe in a stairwell or a syringe in a parking lot. Right. Um, the syringe on a tray, I was, you know, I was in these circles of like purple velvet clad girls and guys that, had elaborate lighters that were based on, you know, a, like, <laughs> elaborate lighters, you know, like, so, and this wasn't, it's not like it was my super tight crowd, but it was a group of sort of gothy, um, gothy people who did drugs as a form of elegant decadence. And I was invited into those spaces because I was, I don't, I'm, when I think back, like, I guess I was invited into every space for the same reason, which was that I was colorful and to a degree like unplaceable. Mm -hmm. 
And so maybe, you know, I, I, I was often like a pet. Uh, somebody would bring me to a gathering of people like, look what I found kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I made, I made such an impression that at least for the space of a single party or a long weekend or a couple of weeks, I could seem compelling enough that, uh, or, um, or, or foreign enough that I was amusing uh, and not amusing, like funny, but like amusing, like, like, uh, in a, in a sort of, um, like a tortoise encrusted with jewels. Of course. Yeah. And so, you know, and you can have a tortoise encrusted with jewels for a, for a long time before the tortoise dies. And I was usually gone by then, but, but the syringe on a tray, you know, it makes it feel very much like, Oh, this is, this is safe. You know, this is a, this is like a prepared thing. Someone's done this right. It's done right. It's done right. And, and in one case, the syringe was a vintage syringe, like a, oh, an elaborate, like, like with its large glass piece, and then the like was, little right. rounded things for the fingers and the big plunger. A hundred percent. It was not plastic. It was glass and silver, and looked like uh, something from a laboratory. <laughs> and this was, you know, and this was in a in a loft that was. It was one of those. It was decorated like in mondo, eclectic sort of womb space, like mm. black, like curtain, black velvet curtains everywhere, and it was a, it was an apartment that had so many lights in it, but they were all incredibly dim. So like every bookcase had four oh, like little that. lamps that were all, you know, either covered with a scarf or the lampshade was made out of amber and and it was an it was an apartment and it felt like it had been made out of four different apartments so you would wend your way through this and there were rooms everywhere and people you know just sort of and 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 what was interesting was that the guy that owned the apartment was my I wasn't brought to this party by some girl I was his pet Oh. Like he, he brought me to this, to his apartment and I was, uh, I became a regular there for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So I got to know it and he was a musician and we would jam and play this kind of, he wasn't a great musician. We would play this weird swirling kind of, he was part of the Sky Cries Mary crew and we'd play this weird echoey kind of, uh, shoegaze music in his little studio, but he had one of everything, you know, and, and he was a junkie, but he was like an elegant junkie. And so I knew I wasn't going to get AIDS here. I knew I wasn't going to OD because he was also, I swear to you, Dan, he was also an EMT in addition to being all these other things. Like he was a, he was had trained in medicine and maybe it was all bullshit. Who knows? But he had money. And so this, the, you know, this syringe type of thing where it, they would appear, cause there were, I was offered plastic syringes too in, in way shittier parties. And those were much easier to say, no, thank you. Right. I mean, you were worried, you were worried about 
getting getting it a transmissible disease for sure. Oh, but way more worried about uh, about like shitty drugs. Uh, way more worried about OD. But that wasn't what stopped me from shooting up. Huh. Because you know these situations where it was like a so glass you never syringe, you never shot up. You never did it. Uh, no, I never did. Oh. And if I had OD'd in this guy's apartment, I'm confident he could have brought me back. If I had died, I'm, I suspect he could have brought like me back Like in Pulp from Fiction the with the, the shot right into the heart? Well, that or through some necromancy. Um, there was because, some movie. Listen, there was some movie with... You're going to have to help me remember this guy's name. I just, I'm just suddenly drawing a blank on it. And I was... Okay, he, he's... I think he's still around. He is an actor. He hasn't acted in years. All he was completely drugged up all the time. He was in motor severe severe motorcycle accidents on the reg. And he had like crazy like blonde hair. He was the bigger guy. Who is this mm-hmm. guy? Was he like in what kind of movies? All kinds of movies. He was um he was like a movie star. Yeah, it was in, he was in, not Nick Nolte. No, uh, but like a a you vaguely could be like Nolte's like cousin or something, but only because they have a similar vibe kind of going. Uh huh. Nolte is Nolte esque vibe. Uh gosh, I'm gonna it's gonna bug me. I know the uh, people listening are like it's this. Guy. I'm gonna have to look it up. But there was some no. movie where he was in. And I only saw like five minutes of this movie, but it's, I wanted to know what was going on in this scene where he's, he's obviously he's in the drug scene. I don't know what's going on. He's in the drug scene. Yeah. And a couple comes over and with a friend and they're like, uh, you know, they wanted to try, I think for sure it was heroin. And they're like, all right. So he gives him a shot right in the ass and they both heroin in the ass. Yeah. And they both are pass out instantly and see, and, and, and the person who brought them there is like, are they going to be already? He's like, yeah, I'll tend to them End scene. And so that's it. And I don't know what this movie was. Gary Busey. Thank you. Gary Busey. Yes. There it is. Yes. I mean, he's Nolte-esque. Absolutely. He is Nolte-esque, right? Yes. Yeah. So I have to, I, and I've never been able, I think maybe I hallucinated the film because I've mentioned this to other people and they're all like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of Gary Busey, you know, like fans out there probably, but this movie was probably from the seventies. Wow. Yeah. Who knows what it is? All right. I'm sorry to segue into that. Please continue. Well, no, I'm curious now. I want to find out. Why would out- they put it in the ass though? Is that where I you shoot up? Do you shoot up in the no, ass? I thought you do right no. in the vein. You want it in the vein. Yeah, you don't want to shoot up heroin in your ass. I'm I'm very confident of this. Uh, that is not where you put it. <clears throat> I don't know what they were doing that for. But you know, everybody does. Everybody does it different. Maybe he was giving them a penicillin injection. Maybe <laughs> that's it, maybe he was inoculating them against. Yeah, maybe something. that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I um. I had a, a very strict code even when I was at my most debased. And that code is 
you know, my mom lives by a code. Mm-hmm. My dad lived by a code, although their codes had very little overlap. But when I was being brought up, it was understood by me that part of being a human person was that you have a code that you live according to. You've got to have a code. You have a code. And my code, you know, I didn't steal. Right. I didn't deal. No. I didn't. Don't steal, you don't deal. I don't steal, I don't deal. Did you, Part of your code was one of the rules of your code that it has to rhyme, whatever it is that you are or are not doing has to rhyme? No, that, that would have been nice. Although part of my code was you don't squeal. You don't deal, you don't steal, and you don't squeal. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's not so a far they're freaking t-shirt. Yeah. But also, you know, I had a code about how I dealt with with sex and women, which was I never, I never, um, you know, it, it no was love, just. love, no love. I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, it was just a code like I never put pressure on anybody for sex. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to have sex where the other person wasn't the enthusiastic initiator. And, mm-hmm. and. And what it meant was that for many years, you know, I didn't, I had much less sex than I might have mm-hmm. because of the code. You have to honor the yeah, code. Sure. I sat, I sat at one end of the couch and waited for her to express her enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And she was sitting at the other end of the couch wondering why I wasn't making a move. Mm. Uh, but that was my code. And it wasn't a code to keep oneself out of trouble. It was a code because it was a, it was a code. Like you live according to a code so that you feel that you have honor and integrity and that those things are more important than pleasure. Honor is a higher, higher order than pleasure. And, you know, it extended to my relationship with money. I always felt that money itself was more valuable than anything money could buy. So if you offered me $100 or something worth $100, the $100 itself had more value, was greater. So I never spent money um, because just to amass it gave me kind of more pleasure than ownership of things. Mm-hmm. And it was why you know thrifting was so fun because you could own things right. and, and not spend very much money. And it wasn't it wasn't that I was cheap, you know, or chintzy. Uh, it was just that I, you know, I felt that money had um, honor, whereas owning buying things with money felt like that you had compromised somehow, that you had chosen, and the potential energy of having money was more interesting because you had not chosen yet. Mm-hmm. You know, you could ha- you could go any direction, whereas to choose was to make yourself knowable. Mm-hmm. Oh, you like that hat instead of this one? Well, now I know more about you than I did before, and I didn't want anybody to know that much, which hat I chose, you know? Whereas if you find a hat or you buy one at a thrift store, it's not a question of having chosen it, but rather that that hat found you, which seemed to me to be you know, that was a way to own things and also still not be known entirely uh, because that it was the hat that chose. Right. That chose you, not, yes. not you. Yeah. 
Um, but with, you know, with heroin, it was in the same category for me that, um, you know, that being a, being an aggressive person in a bar with a, with a girl, like, you know, leaning into her and saying like, come on, babe, like, let's, let's get out of here felt aggressive and dangerous in a way that was not honorable and shooting up um, the, 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 I needed a line, you know, I needed there to be lines and, and at the same time, you know, I wanted there to be no lines and that was a place that I could draw a line that, that I could argue was where, you know, that, that was where I needed to impose a sensibility. And, and I had them, you know, I had them around me and they, and they were not, um, they weren't to keep me safe, you know, because I had zero lines about sleeping in doorways or, or going to a fourth location with, with, uh, villains. Like I was, I was in jeopardy and that was just all in good fun. It was something else. It was, um, and maybe it was a little bit in the family of uh, not reading Shakespeare until I went to jail. You know, like like saving Shakespeare because I I wanted on, I wanted to read it if I ever had to do a stint in prison. In the same way that Malcolm X supposedly read the dictionary in prison, I was like, no, 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 I'll save Shakespeare. And so there was a little bit of that, like, I'm just going to do heroin because I'm at a party. Like, that doesn't seem right. It seems like there should be Like a good a reason to start down that track. Yeah, right. Were, you, were you, when you were trying out all these different things, did it, was it ever like, well, that's a serious drug. And this is like a fun one. I'm only going to do the fun ones. No, 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 no. It was, all, I have a song called Medicine Cabinet Pirate. And a lot <laughs> I don't of know it, that one. <laughs> it's on it's on our first record. Okay, I'm gonna check and, that one out. And a lot of the you know a lot of the choices I made about drugs were um, were made for me again because I didn't have any money, so I wasn't in a situation where I was the guy with the with the goth apartment who was like I'm only going to do the finest heroin. I was the guy that was trying to get high. And so it was much more a what have you got kind of situation. And that was very, very fast for me. Like in high school, I didn't do drugs. I drank and drinking felt noble. Um, and even smoking pot didn't. Smoking mm -hmm. pot felt like uh, shabby. Whereas alcohol felt like a, like a, like a noble thing. And once I started smoking pot and then did LSD for the first time, then it felt like, well, fuck, you know, the, what have you got, right, right away? And what have you got led me down all kinds of crazy uh, paths because people have a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And if your attitude is like, I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it, people are like, 
And people with with esoteric drugs, they want friends. You know, they want a drug friend. Everybody is fine smoking your joint, but like if you're really into angel dust, um, most discerning drug people are are like, mm, I'll skip it. I'll right. skip the angel dust. And I skipped angel dust also. Mm. Just because um, there were all these stories. I remember I watched, oh man, I am drawing a blank. I think it's because I got so I got so little sleep last night. Oh, but I'm sorry. What's the, the blonde actress that was in that sitcom with the guy where they were husband and wife? Nothing ever really seemed to happen. She's been in lots and lots and lots of TV shows and movies. She's our age. Uh-huh. I mean, it's narrowed it down. You should know exactly what I'm talking about now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In the movie with in the TV uh, show it, with that guy. Is it mad about you? Is that what you're thinking of? Uh I think it was. I think it was. Mad yes. About you. <laughs> yes. Yes. How did you do there, that? There you go. Um, that's freaking me out that you did that. Yes. That's weird. Helen yeah. Hunt. Yeah, you described and, her perfectly. And Helen Hunt was in <laughs> blonde lady that was in a show. In a show, happened. yeah. She's married to Hank Azaria, the Simpsons uh, voice guy. Did you know, oh, that? I didn't know that? No, I did not. I did not know that. And in so she was in a t. She was in like it, it felt like it was a made-for-TV movie. And in this movie, she takes PCP and hallucinates and r- crashes through, I think it's in, in like a high school. She's probably in her 20s playing like a 14-year-old. And she crashes through a window and I think either falls to her death or is severely injured in it. And it was a t- it was like one of those like, well, kids, this is what's going to, the whole, here it is right here. Here it is right here. Okay, hang on. Uh, oh, she's a dr- uh, she played a lot of druggies. She appeared in a marijuana smoke as a marijuana marijuana smoking classmate on an episode of The Facts of Life. And here sure. we go. In 1982, Hunt played a young woman who, while on PCP, jumps out of a second story window in the made-for-television film called Desperate Lives, a scene which she mocked during a Saturday Night Live monologue in 1994. <laughs> Desperate Lives is a made-for-television drama about drug use in a high school. The film has a very strong anti-drug message. I guess you missed that one, John. I did. I missed okay. it. Because <laughs> it might have changed the whole course of your, your youth. Uh, so here's what it says. I'm going to read this to you. The Cameron family seems on the surface to be the perfect family, but things are not as they seem. Their no, two teenage children, are. Scott and Sandy, fall in with the wrong crowds at their high school and eventually become involved with drug experimentation. Sandy, after ingesting angel dust made by her boyfriend in the school's chemistry lab, jumps through a glass window of the school, purposely cutting her arms with the glass in the process, and is subsequently paralyzed from the fall. Whoa. See, I remember all kinds of 80, pointless, weird 80s movies. I'm a treasure trove of 80s movies. I don't know the names of the movies or the names of the actors in them, but I've seen them all. Well, and that just popped up like fully formed in your mind. Yes. You're like, Angel Dust? Right, oh, I because know all about that's, it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's PCP. Everyone knows PCP makes you jump through windows. It does. Well, and a lot of people think that their pot is being laced uh, with PCP. And let me tell so you. Who wouldn't worry about that? Yeah, it's not, though. But I had two strong experiences adjacent to PCP. One of them, I was standing um, 
at the corner of Northern Lights and C Street. No, I'm sorry. It was the corner of Benson and C Street. And it was during the heyday of cruising the Strip in Anchorage. And the Strip was, you headed out, you headed uh, west on Northern Lights, which was a like a five-lane, one-way street headed west. And you would get down to Spinard Road and you would turn left and go one block over to Benson, which was a five-lane road headed east. And you would drive down Benson all the way to basically to Old Seward Highway, and then you would loop around. It was a very long strip. It was a a few miles at least. It was five lanes wide in each direction. And on a Friday and Saturday night in the 1980s, it was jam-packed with muscle cars and big trucks and you know, girls on the back of convertibles mm-hmm. and people peeling out at stoplights and, and you know, smoking their tires. It was a scene that I cannot, it's like from American Graffiti, except super amped up above that even. Um, and I, I feel like you could make a whole, you could, somebody should have made a coffee table book. And I bet you somewhere there are photographs <laughs> of the Anchorage Strip in the 80s um, that would make an incredible, uh, like a gallery show because the the it was the 80s and and yet also the 70s and also the 50s and I think it's all gone now. I, I don't think anything like that exists maybe anywhere in the world the degree to which the entire city, every teenager from like 13 to 35, all the 35-year-old teenagers, they were out there and it was the it was still the heyday of American muscle cars, but you could buy a 72 Camaro for $1,500. Right, I was going to say, know? this was like the heyday time period. This is when I worked in like the auto shop and, and yeah. all, the, all the guys were like, I just got a new Javelin and we'd like work on the Javelin, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the javelin. You remember the AMC javelin? I almost yeah, bought one of those. Absolutely. Those were amazing. Like the, you know, the like. My the dad Mercury owned a gremlin. Cougar. I told you the story about the gremlin, right? God, that my dad bought? Did I tell this? I don't know. I had no idea that your dad owned a gremlin. He owned a gremlin. Okay, so he got a gremlin. And I don't know why I remember this entire thing vividly. This is how weird this was. And this is just going to show you how different we treated children in the 70s than we do today. He bought the gremlin. I was with him when he bought the gremlin. It was green too. And and he he had the license plate from his old car and hadn't gotten the new one yet. I guess back in, you know, whatever time period this was, they didn't give you a temp tag. I don't know. But he had, I don't know why. And so they took- What state was this, Pennsylvania? Yeah, this is Philly. So they took a, a piece of twine- and you know how you would hang on the back of a picture, how you've got the the metal um, wire going from one end of the picture to the other. So they sort of tied it to the license plate in a similar way so that this twine was holding it on, you know, the left and the right sides. And they said, Danny, as I went by Danny, they said, Danny, sit in the back of the gremlin and hold this up in front of the window. So the whole day, until he was able to go and get to get this thing back home and screw it in, 
I had to sit in the back. We met, went all over that day. And I just remember sitting in the back, holding up this thing on, with a piece of twine in the back window in case a cop, I guess, saw it. And it's like, you have no license plate. What the hell was going on in the 70s that this was fine? Why was this a thing that you would have a like a eight-year-old child doing? It's very that, weird. That seems like maybe a more unique experience than a universal one. I don't think so. I think it was just me. But yeah, he had a gremlin, and I thought it was the coolest car. Looking back, it's an embarrassment that he had this car. This was like, I feel like a low point for him. But I always liked it. Well, the Jaguar maybe, is great, though. Maybe a low point in its moment, but now it's a much better story than all those dads that had whatever normal cars. You had a green gremlin like yeah. that. That you had to be a certain place and time to. Oh yeah, to be able to tell that story. Oh, for sure. But we were out. We were. It was. It was a summer night, and one of our friends had borrowed his brother's Corvette and it was an eighties Corvette. It wasn't like a stingray. It was a, it was a new like space age Corvette with a digital speedometer. And, and it was still, and he was the type of guy that would roll up in his Corvette. There'd be four girls standing on a street corner and he would like slow roll up and be like, Hey, anybody want to ride in my Corvette? And I mean, he wasn't like a creepy old man. He was he was 19 years old or whatever. But he and he had a ponytail, and it was a time when you were I don't know your rate of success for that kind of pickup would be high enough that you would try it. Right. You know, I guess. Like anyway, I don't know how it was that a group of like five of us came to be standing on the corner because it's not what you would normally do on the strip. I mean, you would pull your car into one of those parking lots in front of Long's Drugs or Chuck E. Cheese, and you would sit there with your parking lights on, sitting on the hood of your car, hmm. smoking a joint and drinking, you know, and, and drinking a, an Olympia beer <laughs> until the cops came around. <laughs> and, it, you know, and it was your, you'd sit and show off your car. Um, But we were just standing out there. I don't know where the... Uh, I don't know where any of our cars were. Maybe Lee McKay had been driving me around in his new Audi because his dad died and he got an inheritance. And I think he bought an Audi and he, and it was a hot rod Audi. And then he, he hit a moose and the moose went through the windshield. And I was riding in the car at one point, cruising the strip. I was in the back seat and I put my hand down kind of like in the cushion and I pulled out a bunch of moose hair. And I was like, what the fuck, Lee? There's a bunch of like ha moose hair in the, like crammed in the back. I mean, is that normal for seat. Alaska? No. And he said, oh yeah, you know, the first week I had the car, I hit a moose and you know, moose stand really tall. They have spindly legs. And so I guess he hit the moose and the car was low enough that he just hit it at its legs and then the body of the moose went through the front windshield. I have no idea how he survived this. Maybe it was a baby moose. Anyway, the moose went like at such a velocity into the back seat that I guess it... I don't know how he repaired that 
that damage right, without from that. Fun, without getting all the moose hair out. That would be number the whole, one. Get the yeah, moose the whole hair story out. is crazy. But like, I put my hand down in between the seat cushion and pulled out a bunch of moose hair, and that was the story I got back. So I was like, okay, well, I still think about that. I still think about what that would have been like to watch. First of all, hit a moose. Second of all, the moose goes through the windshield into the back seat of your car. And then you fix the car somehow. That that isn't an, sufficient to total your car. But anyway, we were standing out on the street, and this guy comes walking down the street, walking down Benson, headed east. It's not we were across the street from Harry's restaurant or Bob's Big Boy. He comes walking along. He looks sketchy, but it's a bit. It's the strip is going off, and and um. And we're smoking weed, and he says, he pulls up on on this group of guys, this group of friends, and he says to one of my friends, hey, you know, do you want to trade? Like, I take a hit off of your pipe, you take a hit off of mine. And it felt like a friendly gesture. Yeah, I'll take, you know, you smoke some of my weed, I'll smoke some of yours. USA America. (laughs) And so the guy took a hit off of, you know, he took like a drag off of whatever the pot pipe, whatever proto pipe we were smoking out of. And then he, then our friend took a hit off of his pipe and it felt like that pipe was going to make its way down the line and we were all going to take a hit of his pot. But then my, the, the, the guy that, that did take a hit off of that pipe was like immediately, because he took a big drag and then, you know, coughed up the smoke and he was like, what the fuck was that? What is in that? And the guy like took his pipe and booked. Whoa. Like, not ran, but like fast walked away. in a, And fast walked away in a sketchy way. Like sketchy fast walk. And then we were all looking at my friend and he was like, holy shit, what the fuck? And... And it was angel dust. Oh. And then we I were mean, do carrying. You smoke, are you smoking that? Are you snorting that? Does it not matter? Well, I mean, there's a lot of ways to, there's a lot of ways to get high, Dan. Um, and in that case, let me see here. It was a, it was a bad, I mean, I think, I think it's like, I think you can, I think you can do everything. There are a lot of those drugs. Some drugs you can't smoke and some drugs you can. And PCP is definitely one you can. But then we were really caring for our friend. And and this was a group of guys that would not have been above chasing that guy down and beating his ass. But we were so taken by surprise. And I think at, at the very first moment, we were like, is this a good thing? Did you just get some free... <laughs> some free PCP. Right. You know, like that's cool. But the guy took off so fast that it felt like he had done it as a, you know, this was like some creepy thing. Like, like the guy that used to come into my store and say, do you have any magazines about poopy pants? (laughs) And I would say, fuck you, get out of here. And he's like, you know, diaper, diaper, poopy, poopy. It felt like that. It felt like he had given us, um, given that one guy PCP as a, you know, a hit off of his pipe because it was a, it was a, it got him off. It got him off to, to fuck up a, a a civilian. 
and we were drug people, but that was a that was a that was a cut above. And then the second proximate, the second like time I was close to that stuff, I was working at the off ramp, and the apartments above the off ramp were kind of the edge, the end of the universe. Like they were apartments, and I was the assistant manager of the bar for a while, and the owner Lee Ray. At one point, there was a gas leak. And the fire department was like, everybody's got to get out of the building. And uh-huh. Lee Ray said, you have to go up and knock on every door upstairs and get everybody out. And I remember saying, why do I have to do that? And he was like, just do it. Uh, and I, Because I, we used to party up there, and I knew that there were some of those apartments that I didn't want to knock on the door. There were some of those apartments that had foil, you know, like aluminum foil covering the windows. There were people up there that never came out of their apartments. And so I did. I went down and knocked on every door. Yeah. And there were, you know, there were a couple of the doors where you where I knocked and knocked again. I knocked a third time. I said, I know there's somebody in there. And then the door opened like a centimeter. And I was like, you got to get out. There's a gas leak. The building's going to blow. And the, you know, and they were like, rah, 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 and the door shut again. And then I went back up there with the fireman, hmm. knocked on the door and was like, you got to get out. And the, the door opened a little crack. And then, you know, then they're looking at firemen in their whole fireman outfits. And they were like, and they did, they ended up coming out. But there was a band called Mock Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> and they it was like a joke right that's Mock amazing Turtle. i love it that's but so they, good they spelled it m-a-c-h of course they did <laughs> mock turtle yeah fastest turtle ever yeah i'm ready and they were um they were <laughs> a, a punk band but it wasn't hardcore it was like old school um like, like junkie punk, um, like a kind of Southern California, New York, um, like just uh, a dirtbag punk. And one of the guys in the band ended up going on to be the the front man, guitar player, and singer of a of of a well known and notable. Uh, Northwest's like speedcore band that's like famous. And I won't mention his name because he, he is the, he's the, the subject of the story. But when he was in Mocturnal, he wasn't the front man. He was just the guitar player. And he decided at this point in, and they lived upstairs and practiced upstairs above the off ramp. And then he washed dishes at the bar. Mm-hmm. And he was already 29 by that point. And he decided he was going to like develop a PCP habit because heroin was like whatever. Oh, I, this may be a dumb question, but I feel like I have to ask it right now. I, I know that certain times, like if you're trying to like get off heroin, you would use something like methadone or, or something like that. Are these drugs, are they sort of interchangeable in that way? Like if you're used to doing heroin and someone's got PCP, you're like, well, I'll just switch to PC. Now I use PCP instead of heroin. It's fine. Like, does it, is it work that way? Like if, 
if someone was, you know, drinking a glass of wine, you can hand them a glass of beer and they're going to still get drunk. You know, is it the right. same? I mean, I understand these they're different, but is like one a substitute for the other in some way? Or is it just you just want to f- get high and feel something so it doesn't matter? Give it to me. Yeah. I, I, as, speaking as someone who never shot up any kind of dope or did PCP, I cannot say whether PCP is an effective substitute for hero- for a heroin come down. But in my experience, you're just trying to get high. And so... I was not a cocaine person. I definitely wasn't a, uh, a methamphetamine person, but I did those drugs because they were there and because they were better than no drugs. And if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're trying to stop doing something or if, you, if there's none of that something around, like this group, the kids in Mock Turtle were the ones that first <laughs> explained to me that when they couldn't get dope, that the best, the most effective cure for dope sickness was Theraflu. Really? And they were, they were always shoplifting Theraflu. And whenever I was over there, they'd be like, you want some Theraflu? And it, you could still get Theraflu over the counter. Or uh, yeah, like, like off the shelf. I think it, Theraflu ended up being one of those that they put behind the counter after a while because too many junkies were shoplifting it. But but they would offer me a glass of warm Theraflu as a kind of like, what if, you know, scrounge around, like, what if we got around here to get high right now? Like, we know you don't shoot up. So, like, would you like a glass of Theraflu? Mm-hmm. And that was in the like drink cough syrup when there's nothing else around era, uh, which I guess is probably still an era. Although, ugh, Dan, don't ever drink cough syrup to get high. It's really a bad, that's a bad time. Now, is that, um, scissor S- syrup. S- scissor. Mm, I don't know what that is. Syrup. Is that pur- purple drank lean. Pur- mm, that might be it. That's an Atlanta thing. I don't know. What, we didn't call it that. We just called it uh, lean. No. Um, it's it, apparently it's name. cough syrup and and soda. Oh no, we just called it Nyquil, and you just drink it straight. Ooh. And, and <laughs> but then to make it then to make you sleepy, a little sleepy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the point. I mean, you know, you would, we would take muscle relaxants, which don't, which don't do anything to your, they don't make you high exactly. They just make you floppy, but better floppy than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so my friend, guitar player of Mock Turtle, in de- deciding that he was going to do PCP, I watched him fling himself down a flight of stairs. See? And he bounced all the way, you know, and the, the stairs at the off ramp uh, upstairs from the, from the uh, apartments down was like very wide staircase. And like it, it was steep. It was at a pitch that probably wouldn't pass code now. It, the building was built in whatever, 1890 or something. So it was very wide, very steep, and extremely long. The The downstairs ceilings were 18 feet high or something. So it was a really long staircase. And he fell down that staircase the whole way, and he had his guitar on. <laughs> he had a black Les Paul. Oh, my God. Well, you, we at, were talking last week. You buy those, you buy those cheap. You could then. Uh-huh. 
like a Les Paul Custom, and it was like Micro Fretz era. Like it was a fast, a beautiful guitar. And he kept the guitar survived this fall, and he kept using it. It was still a part of his his. It was his signature axe all the way through his next band. Um, a band which still exists to this day, and that was thirty years ago. But he went down that 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 flight of stairs with his guitar on. And it was the most, like, it was, it was definitely a, is he alive thing. Mm -hmm. And not only was he alive at the bottom, he was fine. You know, he like popped up and ran out the door. No way. Guitar on. And, you know, the next time I saw him, he was fine. I think Lee Ray's boyfriend was also a junkie and he was the one that got onto PCP and that's where my buddy got the PCP. And he, his boyfriend, Lee Ray's boyfriend, fell out a window and fell out a window. So this is giving more credence to your PCP sends you out the window. It's the defenestration drug. But he fell out a window and fell down in between two buildings like the building that was built behind the off-ramp, it was one of those things where the off-ramp had windows, but then they built a building like three feet from it mm-hmm. so that the gap between the two buildings was not even as wide. It was not wide enough to go down, but you could turn sideways and you know and slip between the two buildings. But the off-ramp was like a block long. So there was this, there was this narrow court, like narrow just slit between the two buildings where it was both buildings were over two stories tall completely dark in there uh dirt on the ground not no kind of pavement and then i think you could get under each building there was like a weird crawl space except the off-ramp was a bar with a restaurant and so and and a sleazy one so it was full of rats like there were rats and all the people that lived in the bill above the off ramp who had windows that would open, but all there was, was a blank wall. Like you could reach out the window and touch the blank wall across this little gap. And so they all threw their garbage out the window or like, you know, you'd be drinking in there and you just throw the bottle out the window mm-hmm. and it would go down. So this area between the two buildings was, full of broken glass and garbage and rats. And Lee Ray's boyfriend on PCP sitting on a windowsill in one of those apartments fell out, fell out so that he like got wedged between the two buildings falling halfway down, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So those are my PCP experiences. None of which made me think this is the direction I want my life to go. Well, yeah. And, and, and what I saw, you know, and there was a lot more heroin than there was anything else in the hard drug category then. And so there were, I was watching people on heroin all around me and none of it made me feel like that that was the direction where you were going to keep all your teeth, you know? And so I guess that's a long way of saying 
Um, I did not do every drug. 